If your product can help people, you know they can help them, they know it can help them, and you're not doing everything in your power to help them understand that, that is unethical. That, dare I say, is what? Immoral. So you have a responsibility to help your market understand to the depth that you possibly can how helpful, how valuable your products and services can be. Hello and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. I am on a mission to scour the globe to find and interview the most brilliant mindset coaches, sales strategists, and business leaders alive and present them in a way that landscapers, hardscapers, and outdoor living pros can immediately put them into use to grow and thrive. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 27 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow, and today I have Joshua Lezak on the uh, on the podcast, and he is a ghostwriter. Now, you're probably thinking, why the hell would you bring a ghostwriter on an outdoor living, landscaping, and uh, hardscaping you know, podcast? I'm telling you because it's like the best way to build credibility in your business. And you're going to hear all about that. Joshua unpacks that today here on the podcast. If you've ever thought, you know what, I could write a book about this, or man, I got an entire book in me, but I just don't have the time to sit down and write it. This is going to be the episode for you. He does incredible amount of stuff for a lot of large people that are doing a lot of big, uh, big moving in the world. And he's the guy that you sit down with for a few hours. And the next thing you know, you've got a book that you can use and not just to say, hey, look, I've got a book. I'm awesome. Go to Amazon and buy it. This book is going to help you open doors for your business. It's going to help clients say yes to you. It's a marketing tool. Think of it that way. A lead sales and generating asset that helps you in your marketing side of things. So if that excites you, keep on listening. Joshua, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. And listeners out there, we have a, a guest that's well in a different genre than we're used to here in the podcast because I found this guy and he does something called ghostwriting. So he actually helps people write books. And you're probably thinking, why do you have a guy like this on the podcast? And I'm thinking, you know what? I've had a couple of times in my life where I wish I had somebody to help me write a book. I had a lot of ideas, right? And how many times have you thought it about it and said, you know what, I could write a book on all the stuff I did that was dumb or did it was smart or whatever it might be. So I wanted to have Joshua on today to talk a bit more about ghostwriting, what that means, and how that could potentially help you get that book out of you. Because both Joshua and I believe that each person has a book inside of them, you know, because everybody has unique stories and they're given gifts by God in order to, you know, to, to, to give and to share with others. So Joshua, welcome to the show. Hey, Joshua, glad to be with, with you today. It's going to be fun being Joshua and Joshua today. <laughs> this is going to be good. So, hey, um, I want to jump right into it here. So for the listeners out there that might not have heard of a ghostwriter, I'd love to, to get a sense of what ghostwriters do. And then I want to go into your story and how you found yourself today sitting here talking to me as a ghostwriter. So what do ghostwriters do first and foremost? The short of it as a ghostwriter, I help businesses get more leads. You might think, Wait, those ghostwriters like write books for people? Exactly. Exactly. Ghostwriting is where someone such as myself interviews the aspiring author, restructures the transcript, and then does some hardcore developmental editing to expand and refine all the points that the author wants to make. Package that into a book. 
Now, it could be a memoir, it could be a novel, it could be a political treatise, it could be a life philosophy book, it could be my whole life story. But the particular kind of book that I ghostwrite is one that does marketing and sales for the author in a way that no other marketing or sales tactic could. So most marketing efforts, PR efforts for businesses, they have a very short shelf life, maybe literally in this case. So if you run a 90-day marketing campaign, when the 90 days is up, everything you got is pretty much all you're going to get from that campaign. A couple of leads might squeak in. So either it worked or you, or, or you didn't. With the book, let's say you work with a ghostwriter for a number of months. You can now send that book to prospective clients for literally decades. There is no expiration date for your book. So long as you make sure that the topics are not time sensitive or focus on a particular event that happened once uh, or happened recently in the, in the industry, what the book can do, it can demonstrate your expertise, it can establish credibility, and it can, above all, pre-handle objections to the sale. So it in effect becomes a 250 page direct response sales letter for the services. Now, a lot of small business owners I talk to Joshua, they say, well, well, people just don't do that in my industry. Nobody writes books. Again, exactly. <laughs> you get first author advantage. The first person, the first entrepreneur, the first owner, the first founder to write the definitive book on your space, on your industry, in your niche. Now, there are several entrepreneurs that live near where I do who are high eight-figure, even low-figure, the low nine-figure entrepreneurs in their industry. All of their, the vast majority of their competitors are mid-six figures. Mm. And they're so much further along. What did they all do differently? Well, they did a lot of things differently. But one thing they all did was they all authored a book. All of their competitors thought, why would you waste time writing a book? You're a small business owner with a geographic customer base. That doesn't make any sense. Well, 10 years later and they're doing 50 million and you're still doing half a million, things seem to make a little bit more sense uh, at this point because it's their worldview. It's their intellectual property, their unique way of doing things documented. So as a ghostwriter, I generate leads for businesses. Dude, I'm, I wasn't expecting that. I actually very, uh, very much appreciate that angle. And it's just funny you say that because, you know, when, when you're looking for somebody to hire, like a professional in general, like right now I'm looking for a marketing strategist, right? And I'm looking through a bunch of people all over the place. And you know what I find that's funny? The person that I gravitated to had a book. Just, I mean, this is no bullshit. I didn't, I didn't make this up to come into this, this yeah. conversation. I was just looking last night and it said, hey, free ebook, take a look. And I said, okay, cool. So I downloaded it and I, I, you know, breezed through and briefly went through everything. And I'm like, immediately I'm thinking this guy automatically gets a higher ranking in my mind because he took the time to write a book to explain things to me. And I, I didn't even realize that connection until you just made it here. And I'm like, you know what? Most people that I know have multiple books that are successful because they're, they're, they're sharing their ideas in a forum. And I, I suppose the world thinks, Hey, if you, if you've got something to say and you can write a book, you must be pretty professional at what you're doing. Is that a correct assumption? Exactly. The type of book that's most useful for a small business owner is a memoir mashup. So I, I like to offer my own book as a good example of this, where there's episodes from the highlights and lowlights of my life, but they're not like Wikipedia entries. They're written in the first person narrative with descriptions and there's characters and there's, and there's, there's dialogue. 
right? And there's all sorts of little fiction tricks to keep you wanting to turn the page. Yeah. But it's useful information. The stories are not there to be stories to share about my life. They're for illustrative purposes only. Okay. Where there's a point I'm making using that particular story that the reader wants to know, that the reader needs to know. That's, that's obviously perceptibly valuable to them. And so as a CEO, as a president, as a, as a founder, sharing those greatest moments of impact where like you first figured it out, for example, those moments will never appear anywhere else in any of your marketing materials. Mm -hmm. That's why your book is the most ab absolutely the most valuable marketing and sales asset you could possibly have because it takes you as one of many businesses and you put not just a face to the name, but a story to the name, a hero's or heroine's journey to the name. You, your market now gets to learn how you think, what your insights are, and they can imagine themselves working with you now, implementing things the way that you want things implemented. Even if your small business is landscaping. Dude. Wow, you got me excited already. I'm thinking like, all right, what am I going to write? <laughs> like, I know a guy now. This is going to be awesome. Because, you know, well, I guess one of the things that jumps out at me about ghostwriting, at least my my preconceived thought would be, well, if someone else is writing it for me, it's not my voice. It's it's going to sound inauthentic. It's not really me. So how do you get around that part? So it still feels like I wrote it, but really not. Yes. So I define ghostwriting, as I, as I said, is a combination of interviewing and working with the transcript, fleshing it out. So I'm not making up stories on behalf of the, of, the, of, the, of the client. The best way to think about it is that the author, my client, has the first 10% and the last 10%, and I get the middle 80%. Okay. So it's your job as the author to have a business, to have stories, to have client experiences that you can draw from, to have insights, to have a working product or service. So show up with those, and I'll handle the middle 80%. And then the last 10%, is you obviously reading every chapter to confirm all the facts are true, the stories are correct, but it's the best way to say it, which is yeah. my trademarked tagline, by the way. Because <laughs> as ghostwriting, I don't just yeah. Yeah. interview you, transcribe it, and then edit out the typos or the uhs and the ums. Otherwise, what you've written will sound like it was an AI output. Mm. You know, I would I would come on and say something like, Book writing is important because it's very important to have a tangible physical book. Why is that important? It's important to have a book. Whereas it's sort of, sort of self-referential nonsense, mm -hmm. which is how so many transcripts of interviews go. Because so often we think out loud when we're, when we're speaking, we're thinking out loud and we're finding out what we want to say. And so the right interviewer can help you connect those dots for the first time even mm. out loud. But then it requires great restructuring and refining in order for it to be its best finished product. I have a writing course called The Best Way to Say It in which I teach this, this process. So people can, oh, I'll just write my book myself, following the best way to say it model where you're not figuring out the right way to say it. It's a, it's a multi-step process of getting your initial ideas and ultimately turning it into step-by-step -step with no steps skipped. The best way to say it at, at the end it just so happens i'm running my own course myself i'm following my own advice eating my own dog food <laughs> that's how uh, they say with this yeah so 
How many books are written by ghostwriters? I'm curious, is that something that's common or, or more common than we think, or is this like a, a small percentage? On any given day on all the major newspapers best-selling lists, between 85 and 90% of all of those books were ghostwritten. Yes. Really? It's that high? Yes. And it's a matter of, it's a matter of time. Hmm. Someone who is charging $10,000 an hour is not going to write their own book. That's right. That would be a, a horrific use of their time. Yeah. They will pay someone like me $150,000 to ghostwrite their book because the number of hours I have to put in is way more than the 15 that they're effectively would be putting in. It might take them 15 hours to write one chapter yeah. of 15 chapters. 15 times 15, it's time and money arbitrage yeah. from their perspective. It would, it would cost them with opportunity cost. I'm more than well over seven figures to write the book themselves versus paying a ghostwriter six figures to do it. So the math just checks out. That makes perfect sense. I didn't realize the numbers were that high. I was thinking about half, but that's that's pretty impressive when you think about it. The people who are writing books, they're not sitting around looking for shit to do, right? <laughs> that's, that's not right. what they're doing. They're looking for someone who can take their ideas and make them shine. So I think that's really, really cool. Now, how has AI impacted what you do now? Because I you see it all over the place. How does how does AI impact this? Yes, so it both impacts it and it doesn't impact it. And one way it doesn't impact it is that all AI output is not eligible for copyright. Okay. So if you use AI to write a book, you can't copyright that. Got it. And if you try to get away with it, congratulations, you've now committed uh, copyright fraud. Interesting. And okay. uh, there will come a time when it's easy to find out who did and who didn't. There was a business that was briefly marketing the fact that they were helping people write a book using AI. That business lasted about four months because mm. they hadn't done their due diligence to realize that the output of all of their clients stuff that they were marketing as graduates of this AI book writing program, none of it was copyrightable. And then, so they shut, they shut down the entire operation. Wow. Now where AI does have use is in speeding everything else up. Yeah. So in workflow, and then that we see that same the same thing with with graphic design, for example, where a graphic designer instead of from scratch sketching out, drawing what they could, they can issue a few prompts to Dall E or to any other or Mid Journey or what have you, and they can quickly get to a mock up in seconds hmm. that they can then, I like this, I like that. No, I need to change this color. Okay, mm -hmm. I know what to do now. So they're not borrowing the output and then like redrawing it necessarily. What they're doing is they're they're getting the concept art or the mock-up for it, and then they can iterate from from there, and it probably ends up somewhere else. So there have been a couple of offer, authors I've had where they threw in their ideas in the chat GPT, it gave them an output, and say, okay, I think I've got something here. I think I've got the makings of a book here. And that effectively gives them proof of concept. Mm -hmm. Does someone else or something else, in this case AI, writing out their ideas make any sense at all, or is it just gibberish? Mm. Now, it, it turned out it was sensible ideas written in a way that you could tell it was AI output where every paragraph began. It's also important to understand X. Furthermore, it's also important to understand Y as well. Mm. And every paragraph began, <laughs> began that way, as ChatGPT will tend to do. Nice. So it doesn't even sound like it was written by a human, but it's part of that brainstorming process. It's part mm -hmm. of researching process. Yes, so AI speeds things up for people who are already proficient. They're already intermediate to advanced or even to, towards, towards mastery. But uh, you find a lot of beginners who are using it to crank out crap and uh, it shows. Wow. 
Wow, that's crazy. So Joshua, I'd love to kind of slow this down a little bit and get back into how did you get into being a ghostwriter? Where did you come from? And, and this seems like a very unique thing to chase after and to master. So where did, where, how did you get into this? Completely by accident, as a matter of fact. Hmm. Um, my first novel on the uh, wall here, an action-adventure novel. I, I, I dubbed it as uh, Indiana Jones for Millennials. Okay. And it was a two-book series. I got a small publishing deal with an independent uh, press. And while I was marketing these books, this is 10 plus years ago for context. While I was marketing those books, two of my readers, independently of one another, reached out to me and said, Joshua, I have wanted to write a book longer than you've been alive. You ended it twice. You got to help me out here. Yeah. Now, they didn't want to write novels, understand, Joshua. They wanted to write memoirs, like read like novels. Because they had tried their hand at writing their life story, their autobiography, and it always read like a Wikipedia article. Hmm. And even they didn't want to read the biographical information. I was born here to these parents who worked in these industries, and I had this one uncle. And so boring. They didn't even want to read their own life story. They were depressed reading their own life story and how boring <laughs> it read. That's pretty sad, yeah. And they needed the catharsis of feeling like their life had meant something. Yeah. Both of them were over the age of 70, by the way. Okay. And early in my career, that's who came to me. Joshua, I read your novels. I'm not the market at all, but I see what you did there. And I want to do that same thing for my life story. Mm-hmm. And that's how I became a ghostwriter. And I've just finished writing my 84th full-length general trade nonfiction book. Wow. That's a lot. That's yeah. roughly, so I do roughly six, between six and 11 books per year. Okay. That sounds absolutely ridiculous. Like, I have to be lying unless you've read my book, in which I teach how to have maximum output with minimal time investment by relying on best practices, systems, and processes rather than flow state or the muse or what have you. And I famously say, there is no such thing as ghostwriter's block. Hmm. Interesting. Why is that? Writer's block is this experience you have where you have to write something or there's there's something to be written and you're not quite sure what should come next. As a ghostwriter, my job is not to write words. I frame this conversation with what I do as a ghostwriter to generate leads. So the question is, what will generate leads for my client? When someone reads this book for this telehealth clinic, their thought should be after reading four chapters, or eight chapters, or 19 chapters, shoot, I need to work with these guys. Where's their number? What's their website? That is the one and only highest valuable outcome. And so having direct response copywriting experience and marketing experience, marrying that to ghostwriting, there's no such thing as ghostwriter's block because we know what works for sales copy. We know what has to come first. What comes next? What goes in the middle? How do we transition from one thing to the next? What makes a book work? And of course, I have 30 authors, 35 authors now who've come forward and said, hey, Joshua is my ghostwriter. So go buy my book because I have a little bit of a personal brand now. So people want all of the Lysic books. And so people will feature on their shelves. Hey, look, look, this is the Lysic collection, all the books that Joshua wrote for people who are lawyers or coaches or people who are in the trades, blue collar, gray collar uh, businesses, local entrepreneurs, 
the S&P 500 uh, executives or the C-suite of a, uh, you know, of the Fortune 500, that these three VCs, everyone knows who they are. It's a quite a, quite a gamut of offers that I've had over the years, but the measure of success is one and the same. It's not copies sold, it's revenue per reader. Meaning, do these readers not just pay 20 bucks, but do they also pay $20,000 for my entry-level coaching package? Yeah. Or do they also go from reading the book to subscribing to our service and they remain as a retainer or client year after year, season after season. And it was reading our book in the first place that got them committed, so committed that it was the absolute best sales technique we ever could have done was writing the book. That, so that's what I do as a ghostwriter. I love that. That's why I don't have writer's block is because we're writing sales copy. That yeah, just happens to be yeah. 250 pages. <laughs> it's a long sales copy, right? I love it. I know back when I first... Uh, looked into uh, Donald Miller over at StoryBrand, right? I, I just heard of the guy. I saw him on, I don't know what it was, some YouTube thing popped up in my Facebook feed and I watched it and I went, I actually, I was in Chicago and I ordered his book. He's like, he's got a book. So I ordered his book and read it from cover to cover and I stopped and I'm like, I need this guy in my life. To your point exactly. I then reached out to him, spent, I think it was almost $10,000 to ship a guy in from California as a consultant, sit down with my company for three days. And we cranked down a bunch of stuff. It changed the trajectory of my business, right? But it all came from first a YouTube, then to his, you know, that, that book gave me a chance to get to know him a little bit. Then I'm like, I need this guy on my team. So I, I love what you're saying. There's absolute um, truth in all of this. So my question for you is, you know, we have landscapers, hardscapers, outdoor living pros, small business owners listening to this podcast. Will this work for us? There are two indicators of low risk for an aspiring author. The one is that several people have already written books in your space. Okay. And what that means is that is indicative of demand. Mm. So that de-risks it a little bit because now what you get to do is you get to mine the reviews on those other books. Yeah. What did the two, three, and four star reviews say? Where did your competition, when they released their books, where did they overpromise and underdeliver? And then you make a big deal about how your book does in fact deliver what those people were hoping for. Mm. That tells you what to write about, in fact. So, yeah. so you focus on what do actual paying customers demand that has not yet been fulfilled, and then you go and do that. That's one way to mitigate risk, especially for something as expensive as writing uh, a book or working with a professional to do so. The other indication that you've got something here is that nobody or an almost nobody in your space has written the book. Hmm. So what that means okay. is you will stand out. Yeah. You will get attention. Joshua, no one writes a book. Like we're, I, I, I'm a local real estate agent. I own a, an HVAC company. What the heck would I do write a book for? No one has done that. Exactly. Yeah. You get all the mind share yeah. in this space. And it's not something like how to hire an HVAC company. Ha ha. Free ebook. No, it's obvious what you're doing at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a valuable book. As a homeowner, let's say, let's say it's in a, uh, a home services related profession, which could be as broad as remodeling to landscaping to real estate agencies. It can't be obvious that this is a pamphlet for or brochure, extended brochure, yeah. which is the first thought. Well, what do I write about? Uh, seven reasons to hire our company? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's yeah. not it. What do I want? What are my highest value outcomes as a homeowner? that you can help provide good example of this the subtitle of my book 
So I won't mention the subtitle or the tagline now, but I'll mention the subtitle. The subtitle is Command Attention, Monetize Your Talent Stack, and Become the Uncontested Authority in Your Niche. Everyone wants all of those things if you yeah. have a business. Every yeah. entrepreneur for all time wants all three of those outcomes. So what are the outcomes, the three most valuable outcomes that your market wants that your business provides? Now, in my case, I write a book for someone, and that's how they command attention, monetize their talent stack, and you know, become the uncontested authority in their niche. So that's a service. It doesn't say, why hire Joshua Lysak? By Joshua Isaac, it's not that. So what are the what are the highest value outcomes? And this becomes obvious once you think about why people hire you. So when people are, you know, here's one example that comes to mind. I worked with a Colorado-based personal like home organizer a few years ago, where like she travels within like a 60-minute radius of her tra travel time for her. So it's a local business. She works like her you know truly a B to C business to consumer space. Um, and her book was the way that she thinks about organization because she had had experience in the healthcare space, designing surgical facilities, hmm. designing areas where multiple medical teams with time intensive procedures, where they could shave off 30 seconds of moving one item from one place to another, moving it closer, putting it in a different kind of container, for example, that might actually save the patient's life. Wow, yeah. And her book talks about that. So that does, that's knowing that story, you're like, wow, I want her, I want her to do everything for my house. I want her to remodel my house effectively, right? Because mm -hmm. that's also what she does. She has like the home organization service, but she also has higher dollar services. That is a situation, Joshua, where you say, I need this woman in my life. Yeah. Like you had with Donald Miller and the story brand experience. Yeah. So by knowing someone's story, knowing, some, knowing the way that they think, contrast that with a website, home organizer services, near you, free consultation, yeah, helping you organize your home. Here's my business card. That's 100% of her competition. Guess what? No one in her geographic area has a book. She's the only one. Guess what? She charges five times everyone else this mm. price because she has a book. So again, the two ways to mitigate risk as a small business owner and who's, who might be thinking about doing a book is there are already a few who have, and not just like a couple, but like there needs to be several so you can mine your reviews and release something that's superior value to everything that they possibly attempted. Like so much better. And it'd be obviously so. If everyone else is writing and publishing books that are basically sales pamphlets, like 10 reasons to hire our company, yeah. and you come out with the command attention, monetize your talent stack, become the uncontested authority version for your space where it's like, obviously I want that. You don't realize that it's someone pitching their ghostwriting services at you, <laughs> but it's obvious. It has obvious perceptible value. It makes you say, I need to pay this guy a lot of money. Um, or, or the other alternative is no one has written. So no one has tested that as a, as a thing. Yeah. No, I love that dude. I love it. So, you know, when it comes down to it, What's the best medium then? Is it a written copy to give out? Say to our customers, would it be a written copy? Would it be an ebook? But like, what, what's the best way to get that out there? I'm thinking like you're stuffing them in mailboxes. Obviously, you're mailing them, but like, it's a great way to use it as like a, a huge business card. Like, how do you how do you get these things to the ground for traction? Oh yes, yes. So, so imagine the way that a typical small business markets with traditional stuff like mailers. Mm -hmm. 
What do we call that? Junk mail. Yeah. When you get a copy of a book in the mail, is that ever junk mail? Even if you didn't order it? No. It is never junk mail. Now, the book might actually be junk, but if you're going to spend, and mail is costing more and more and more. I haven't done a mail campaign myself, but I know companies that have spent multiple six figures per season on mailing and it's like some brochure that they pay ten thousand dollars to have design or something something crazy and it's gee this better work remember i mentioned the short shelf life mm -hmm. that's a very short shelf life yeah all the money you spent you get results from it once now and hopefully your gm or your your gross margin is it's good enough that you've better than broken even relative to everything else you could have tried and yeah, working with a professional ghostwriter to write a book that makes people go, I need this business in my life is expensive. I'm one of the more expensive ghostwriters that, that that's out there. But the reason I am is because my books aren't conversation pieces or business cards. They're assets, they're intellectual property assets that shorten sales cycle, that increase retention and increase average customer lifetime value simply because you've done what no one else has done, which is you've shared your story and you've taught them the way with a capital W, which just so happens to do just happens to be the way you two do things in your industry. And yes, you can mail out soft cover copies, hardcover copies with a note, a personalized note, even it doesn't have to be like personalized for every single recipient, every single mailbox, but shoot, if you want your ad to get read, don't make it be an ad. Yeah. Make it be a value add. Right. In that case, it's a perceptibly valuable book. You could give away the whole thing free as an ebook. You could run social media advertisements where you give away one of the juiciest chapters for free as a lead magnet to mm. all of the homes or to rather to all of the zip codes where you do business to, you know, markets that have a certain income or that indicate a certain interest that's related to what it is that you do. And you give away a free chapter if they get on your email list. And then it's in your email list where you mentioned, oh, by the way, the whole thing is available. You can get it in audio print and ebook on Amazon over here. It's got 55 star reviews so far. But these are the top three com most common things. You should go check it out. Now you have one of the best chapters in front of them. You've given them a pitch to go buy your book. So that way you can justify it. Mm -hmm. So that way your marketing of this campaign can actually break even or better because you get between five and $10 per copy sold. So let's say it costs you 10 bucks to acquire a customer. That's just paid for itself. Yeah. Customer acquisition is now effectively free. It's free because you have a book and that beats every single other sales tactic and marketing technique and advertising campaign you could possibly ever run. The only thing that would ever be close would be viral marketing where you get millions or more in uh, earned media attention. But even then viral marketing, Agencies are thirty thousand dollars a month, yeah. you know, and there's no there's no guarantee that anything is going to hit it. So it's it, it's 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 a relatively low chance of success. It's high risk because if you paid for ten months, you paid three hundred thousand dollars, and maybe one video popped off and got a hundred k views, and you got three customers from it, which yeah. did not, in fact, generate three hundred thousand dollars worth of business. Right, right. Exactly. So it was a loss. But with the book. You could send it out season after season after season, and you could run the ebook to the same people. You could, 
And then, of course, people, people like the audiobook now. So your biggest spenders in your market are going to want the audiobook version because they're going to be doing that while they're doing something else because they all multitask everything. They're conducting meetings in their car to and from work. They are working on a proposal while playing with their grandkids or yeah, trying to. Yeah, yeah. Right? They're doing they're every. They're multitasking everything. Listen to the audiobook while they're on the, uh, you know, on the ski machine while they're working out, for example, in their basement while working on their proposal and their grandkids are building a Lego set next in the next room. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, so having your book available in all editions and all versions is essential. And that's what we, we, we also help with that as well. So we don't just do ghost writing. I call it ghost publishing, where we do all of the publishing stuff on behalf of our clients so they can focus on running their, their, their businesses. So I, I there's a lot that you probably want to unpack Joshua. So I'll, I'll, I'll pause there and give you back the mic politely. Yeah, no, 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 Ben. I just let you keep going because you just keep dropping good stuff there. But yeah, so so you manage all those pieces together. So it's not just a book and paper copy. You would do as an ebook. You would help with the actual publishing side of things. How to get it out to Amazon? Like how to get this thing around the world? Is that also something that you do? Exactly right. Yes. And one thing we've been doing recently is having successes with the translation rights. Translation mm -hmm. rights. Yeah. So what we do is we have the business be the publisher, and the reason we have the business be the publisher is we want to send you even more internet traffic to your website for people who are interested in checking out your book. Yeah. So for example, we have um, a book for a heart surgeon that's a telehealth practice that does heart health and metabolic health related um, you know, telemedicine. And his name is Dr. Philip Ovedia, located in Florida. His publisher is Ovedia Heart Health. Hmm. So you check out his publisher, you end up on his website, okay. learning about his services, yeah. right? So that's who the publisher is. now. He could get his book into hospital bookstores, into colleges and universities, and, and, and practical bookstores as well. We have we have several clients who have done campaigns where they're at book fairs, and they're in large bookstores, both in cities where they live, and even you know New York City and all of the the whole thing. The 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 kind of the downside is books don't make any money when they're sold in the bookstore, because the the margin that the that everyone needs to taking a slice of the pie, so to speak. Yeah. There's so many by the point it's sold in the bookstore that the authors are getting a fraction of a fraction of a fraction yeah. of royalties of books sold online. So it's it's really there for for vanity mm -hmm. and for marketing the book online. Look, I'm in bookstores holding up a copy of your book at the bookstore. Yeah. Buy it on Amazon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's used for for marketing it uh, online. Um, but I mentioned the translation rights. So. We have clients whose books are selling hundreds of copies, thousands of copies, and then they're approached by the biggest traditional publishers in other countries. Hmm. They want, like, we'd like to purchase the French language rights and publish it exclusively in French for the French Canadian market. We'd like to publish it in German, in Germany. We, you know, and we see the world's largest publishers in a different domain. So the world's largest, you know, India's largest publisher, South Korea's largest publisher, the largest publisher in the United Arab Emirates, largest publisher in Israel, Largest publisher in Russia, largest publisher in Thailand, largest publisher in Taiwan hmm. will reach out and they will want to purchase the translation rights. So the author gets paid for that. And then they get paid in royalties. And now their book is in all the bookstores in a particular country. And they're on the top bestseller list in that country, which is which is pretty cool for them. Especially since they're independently published in the States. That's pretty cool to see. I love that. That's so cool. The, 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 the legs there could be, you know, in this. It's just so, so cool. So... Um, I also noticed in your bio that you're in hypnotics, right? You're hypnotherapy, that kind of thing. So tell me about how the two come together. It seems like an odd combination, ghost writing and, you know, and hypnotics. So tell me how they help each other coexist and, and all of that. How did you get into both of those things? 
Yes. So what they both have in common, ghostwriting and hypnotism, is people misconstrue what they are. <laughs> <laughs> so many people think that ghostwriting is where, okay, a politician hires a ghostwriter, the ghostwriter reads the Wikipedia page and makes up a bunch of stuff that they, that the author then assigns their name to, mm-hmm. pays the ghostwriter, and the author has no idea what's in their own book. That's not ghostwriting. Similarly, hypnotism... Many think that it's somebody on stage waving a pocket watch, you're getting sleepy, very sleepy, and then bark like a dog. Arf, arf, the person says. <laughs> I don't remember barking like a dog. What are you talking about? Here's video. <gasps> yeah, That's not hypnotism. Yeah. That's more of like stagecraft, performance art, not real hypnotism. Hypnotism in a therapeutic context, in a clinical context, is exactly 200 years old. It was first used in 1823 in French by several psychologists who found that Working with the conscious mind to help someone overcome an anxiety or stress or deal with the symptom of a disease. Working with the conscious mind of like mindset is a word we would use now, mm-hmm. but working with someone's mindset does not help them because they're their own worst enemy because of their pre-existing beliefs, habits, orientations, behaviors, routines, mm-hmm. opinions. You have to deal with all of that stuff before the, you can get the person to do what they actually want to do. We, you know, the expression, we're our own worst enemy. Right. They first encountered that 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. Hypnotism in a clinical context is simply working with the subconscious mind, which is where all of our thoughts, beliefs, habits, opinions, behaviors, etc., are rooted. Mm-hmm. So if you want to change something about yourself, it's kind of like moving a plant. See this plant behind me? Yep. If I want to move this plant, this potted plant, if I want to move it and grow it somewhere else, to work with the mindset... It would be like snipping it right here, mm-hmm. taking the branches and leaves and putting it somewhere else. Is it going to thrive? No. It will not. Yeah. It will die. The change effort will fail. That is why the vast majority of therapy in mindset coaching and all manner of talk therapy, even psychotherapy, that's the level at which it operates. Now, it's a great business model. Because you get recurring customers keep coming back to you year after year after year after year. Tell me about your mom. Three months later, after you talk about that. Well, tell me about your dad now. Three months worth of sessions. $300 every time. Build insurance, right? It's a great way to make make, make a living. Yeah. To have a bunch of clients who just talk, 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 dig, dig, dig. What hypnosis does, hypnosis says, forget about the branches and leaves. Let's work with the roots here. Mm, okay. Let's remove the roots first. And then we'll place it somewhere else. In the same way, the subconscious mind is the root, the root system of our beliefs and our behaviors. And if you can work with the subconscious mind to alter beliefs, opinions, values, guess what you can do? You can change their conscious waking everyday experience. Now, the number one most common uses for hypnotism is... I want to sleep better. I want to lose weight. I want to be less stressed throughout the day. I want to quit smoking. Those four are the most common reason someone goes to a hypnotist. Now, much of what hypnotists have to do is marketing and re-educating people and uneducating people about what hypnosis is not. It's not the stagecraft and trickery and shenanigans with a pocket watch or some little crystal ball swinging back and forth or anything like that. Um, it's actually just having a normal conversation that is a, a bit of a guided visualization while you're super relaxed, heels kicked up, 
nice calming music in the background, dim lighting, and you go on a sentimental journey and you in, you exit that trance-like state, which was fine and chill, and you kind of zoned out, and you come away a different person. Hmm. The trouble with it is that it works so well, it's a terrible business model in and of itself. The vast majority of hypnotists don't make hardly any money at it whatsoever. It's like a side hustle or a hobby thing because they like to help people. They have the heart of a caregiver, yeah, of a nurturer. And so they will do sessions for free for people who, who, who need it in most cases. But if they can help someone who's been in therapy for years in one session, two sessions, in a permanent resolution to their issue, yep. maybe they pay $500 total versus thousands and thousands of dollars from therapy. So it's not a great business model because it works so well. And that's why, by the way, we see so many technologies breaking. It is planned obsolescence yeah. of technologies and, yeah. and products and goods that we use every day yep. uh, is because it allows the companies to make more money. Yeah. Playing obsolescence. Yeah. The therapy is a bit like that. Again. Yeah. <laughs> and so in the same way that if you, any light bulb from the 1930s is going to last for 50 years from today, even if it's been used, mm -hmm. it, hypnosis is a bit like that. It, it, it works so well. It's not, it's not as profitable as the alternative, but it's excellent for mapping it onto other disciplines. So in my work as a ghostwriter, I understand that the people I'm trying to generate leads of meaning my client's clients, my client's customer base, there are things that they're going to believe about my client's business and their industry that are false. There's going to be habits they have around purchasing products and services like my clients. And I need to address those beliefs. Yeah. I need to alter those habits. And so I have to perform hypnowriting. I have to write a 250-page self-hypnosis script hmm interesting that was gonna be my next question like how do you tie the two together and i think you've just did how does one equal the other and wow okay so and i assume that that's not a common trait with ghostwriters that they have hypnotherapy in their background or is that a pretty common thing as far as i know i'm the only one in the world oh, wow. so there, there's a there's a certification program for ghostwriting at a california state university long beach and then the National Guild of Hypnotists is the oldest and largest governing body of professional licensed and certified hypnotists. I'm the only one who's both in, in, in the world. Wow, that's really cool. And how has that helped you kind of, I mean, obviously how you differentiate yourself with that, but when you go to work with people, when they are talking to two or three different ghostwriters, you know, how does that, I guess you could hypnotize them. I'm just kidding. But anyway, you could, you know, work in there. Like, how do you, how do you use that as a benefit when it doesn't make sense to connect together until you explain it like you just did? Yes. So many of the people who come to me understand the hidden game of persuasion mm. that, that happens both at like a society wide level and also in marketing because they notice their competitors who are running circles around them are so much better at persuasion than, than they are. And they're like, what, what, what am I, what am I doing? I, our products are just better. Our, our value per dollar or whatever our currency is so much better. And yet that's not convincing people. They keep going to the inferior value because they're just better at persuasion that, than we are. What are we getting wrong? So they have a particular problem. Mm -hmm. notice, notice, Joshua, they're not saying, I want to write a book. Yeah, yeah. They start with, wow, our competitors are so much better at this than we are. What are we doing wrong? So then they begin searching, get better at persuasion, learn, learn persuasion, persuasive marketing, these sorts of things. And invariably, in the search results, it will turn up hypnosis. 
hypnotic marketing. And, oh, what's this? Oh, this is the most advanced persuasion that there is. And then it's a hop, skip, and a jump to, well, I want a persuasive book because it's going to convince readers to want to work with us. And this guy does it better than anyone. Well, obviously, he's the only person we could possibly work with. There's no other persuasive ghostwriter. There's people who know books, who know the literary world, who know how to write a 250-page general trade nonfiction book that's going to cover the topics. But I want one that's going to hypnotize readers into buying everything we sell. Hmm. Interesting. That's what I might say. Well, that's unethical. That, that's, that's, that's immoral. That's whatever the cope or the excuse is. But we understand that if your product can help people, you know they can help them. They know it can help them. And you're not doing everything in your power to help them understand that. That is unethical. Yeah. That dare I say, is what? Immoral. So you have a responsibility to help your market understand to the depth that you possibly can how helpful, how valuable your products and services can be. Otherwise, they're going to end up with the competitors who are better at marketing than you but have a suckier product than you, and you know it. Yeah. They I just don't. That. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Holy moly. Well, Joshua, this has been a great interview. I've really enjoyed I've learned a lot. This is amazing. Now, you mentioned throughout the interview like 250 pages and all do all books have to be 250 pages or is or is there different lengths based on the content or how does that typically figured out yes so authors who just want to write a little short little book that tends to not work out so well because then you get into brochure territory hmm. and why do they pay 1995 for a brochure that's just marketing somebody's business yeah that's kind of a scam so we need it to, to be substantial enough to be a real book for a real price point that you put real thought into this. You can just throw something together, have chat GPT throw something together for you yeah. that you can't actually say is a standalone product that sits on a shelf or it could be in a bookstore or is in a bookstore that you could sell the translation rights to for, for Arabic, Russian, Hebrew, and Mandarin Chinese. Yeah. It's that valuable as a standalone property, which is key. It must be valuable as a standalone property, even if they never do business with you. That is a criteria for the quality that you ought to be aiming for. Yes. Some books in this space, they could be anywhere from 100. So, so my book, my nonfiction book, So Good They Call You a Fake, is 174 pages. Now, it's actually more closer to 200, but like the page numbers is 174. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's like the, the Roman numerals before that, and then there's the after pages. So it's a little over 200 pages. I've done other books that are over 300 pages. Okay. But what it needs to be is... And I say 250 because that's a good measure of a real book, not some less than 100 pages stuff, which really is going to look like a pamphlet that should have been free, but wasn't. And so they kind of feel gypped. And the last thing you want to do is write a, and launch a book that makes customers feel gypped. Because the way you do anything is how you do everything. And they assume if you're ripping them off with a book you're charging $19.95 for, and it's just a marketing pamphlet, they're going to assume that everything else you have in your bin of goods and services is also going to be equally scammy. Totally makes sense. You also mentioned 150k to write a book. Is it always that? Is there different levels to that? Is that like does, what determines the overall price? Yes, there obviously there's going to be ranges. There are some people who need the whole shebang and they have an insanely technical topic that's going to require hours upon hours upon hours of research via you know PubMed or Google Scholar. And we, we have those from time to time. 
other people are going to have already been thinking about this and be down the road and have hired a freelancer and they've got a full first draft, but it's not quite what it needs to be. And they need some restructuring and some refining. So obviously it's going to be lower, but it, it, it's going to be anywhere from 1500 to 150,000. Okay. And that, right. that's quite a, quite a range of, of, uh, mm -hmm. of services. Yes. Um, there, I would say there's no project too big, but there are some projects that are too small. Yeah, yeah. no, I totally <laughs> understand. But it's, it's good to know what the gamut is, yes. No, 100%, just because if you're thinking 150, I'm thinking listeners are like, yeah, right, sure, maybe one day. But, you know, again, if if there is the ranges there, depending on how much work needs to be done and how much technical work needs to be done, then it starts to be more approachable for most. And, you know, I love your combination of the hypnotics and the ghostwriting, because you're absolutely right. You know, we all know out there listening that we're working our hardest every single day to give our clients the very best experience, the very best everything. But we never get a chance to do that unless the clients say yes to us. If they don't say yes, they don't move forward. They don't purchase our service. They don't, you know, have us do the backyard or do whatever we're doing for them, the pool, the deck, the patio. We never get a chance to even serve. So to Joshua's point, it needs to be persuasive, not manipulative, but persuasive so that they can see the added value in working with you and not going with the ABC company instead for a little bit less money. That's the difference. So it's, it's making sure they can see what they're going to lose if they decide to go the cheaper route, the guy without a book, right? The other five people that are slightly less. And to your point about charging a premium for your services, that's where that book will add such value that they can actually see what they're getting, why they're paying more, because they feel like you've got this figured out versus let's keep our fingers crossed. I don't know who's going to show up to my door. So I love that aspect of it for sure. So Joshua, how can people find you if they've been moved by this episode and say, you know what, I really think... I want to be the first in my market to write a book so I can start working with more and more, you know, fluent homeowners that actually care about this stuff and not be chasing after the ones that are trying to nickel and dime us for a couple thousand bucks. Yes. So you can check me out at lisecghostwriting.com, L-I-S-E-C. And then I have regular up-to-date shenanigans on the Twitter platform now called X, at Joshua Lysick. I have over 350 videos on all aspects of writing and publishing. People tell me I have a binge-worthy YouTube channel. I'm also at Joshua Lysick there as well. So those are the three best places. And of course, my own book, which teaches my way with a capital W. So good they call you fake is on Amazon. I love that, Joshua. Thank you for coming on today and sharing what you do. And I can see an incredible amount of value for our industry with this topic of having a grocery because I know I don't have the time to write a book, nor do I have the skill to do so. But to be able to sit down for a few hours and talk to you, and then you come back with this amazing thing that can help me help more people. Dude, that's a done deal. I love it. So thank you, Joshua, for coming on. And uh, yeah, man, wish you the best for the weekend. And uh, we'll see everybody next week.